is all a fugazi. You know what a fugazi is? No. Fugazi. It's a uh, fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Bush and Danny coming at you for another Hot Commodities episode. This is episode five, right? I don't even remember at this point. Uh, yeah. Biggest, uh, We're coming at you today with our biggest risks. So guys that we're not necessarily calling them busts, although some of them may be considered that. But guys in the first uh, four rounds of, of best ball ADP via Fantasy Pros, you've heard my rant on Expert League ADP, uh, that we think are just risky players. They could either pay off for you or they could just completely ruin your season depending on how high you have to take them. So. Uh, without further ado, we'll hit the intro, and then I'll ask you how you're doing. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Show me the money. Yo, show me the money! How you doing today? Doing well, doing well, uh... You know how it is. Nice little workout in the morning. Got the interview going. We're feeling fresh. We're feeling ready. Let's hop in. For sure. All right. So I'll kick it off, I guess. We'll start off with a guy who, I mean, I've been off this guy. This is a bust candidate for me. This isn't just a risk. This guy is a, a flat out bust. But uh, it's Todd Gurley for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, running back 16 currently, and he's 27 overall uh, off the board. So he's like a, I don't know, early third round pick, I guess. And uh, there's no secret. It's no secret to anyone who watched Gurley or anyone who watches football at all uh, that he wasn't efficient last year. He had number 48 in yards per touch, number 42 in breakaway run rate, number 67 in yards created per touch. He had nine drops, which was number one in the league among running backs. And he ranked like top 10 in all these categories the previous two years when he was like the undisputed RB1 in fantasy. So I'm not talking strictly about his talent because I could be wrong about that. He could bounce back. He could become like a better um, running back, maybe – a la his old days, but I, I still think that's very unlikely. My concern more so lies with uh, his injuries and his situation. So uh, an NFL source, this is a quote that I'm, I'm reading here. An NFL source told The Athletic that there were concerns about his surgically repaired left knee when he came out of Georgia. So this is stemming back like five years ago. And when asked how bad the knee is now, which was, I believe, of Mar uh, as of March this year, um, the source said very bad. Jeff Howe of The Athletic was the first to report this in uh, June of 2019 that he was suffering from arthritis. And then after that, it only got worse. So obviously his health isn't great. He, I mean, he was literally uh, the OC of the team that he just signed with, didn't know if he was going to be healthy enough to play. So Dirk Cutter, after Gurley was signed, basically just said, well, the question is how healthy is he? So not a promising sign that they're going to be using him in some sort of featured workload where he's like a, a workhorse running back and he gets all the work because I mean, his coaching staff didn't even know if he was healthy enough to play football. Um, where, okay. So the big concern for me with his situation, because I do think objectively it's a good situation to be in because Atlanta is a good offense. But when you dive into it deeper, uh, Gurley had 59 red zone touches last year, which ranked third in the NFL among running backs, despite being like overall, like not very good for fantasy. He had a lot of red zone work. So, and he ranked number one by a mile, like the previous two years. So the Rams were very keen on running the ball and, and giving the ball to their running back in the red zone. Devontae Freeman only vacates 25 red zone touches from Atlanta, which ranks, he had to, he ranked 25 in red zone touches last year. 
And this is because the Falcons just don't run the ball in the red zone. They ranked number two in the NFL in pass percentage in the red zone at 63% last year. And for reference, the Rams ranked number 28 at 47%. So the Rams offense basically just looked to run the ball immediately once they got into the red zone and the Falcons did the opposite. Yeah. Uh, touching upon that. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me that people still think like, as you mentioned, like Gurley was a godsend two years yeah. ago, three years ago. He's not that player anymore. As you mentioned, like the, the knee is just a big factor and people just don't want to say it because again, a lot of people value names in fantasy football. I mean, we touched upon it. Uh, this will be releasing actually before, but you'll see Saturday. We touched upon it with Odell Beckham Jr. We've said it multiple times on this channel with AJ Green. These type of players will gonna, are going to go early simply because of their name value. And as you mentioned, the situation on like on the surface, we say, oh, he's coming at Lanny. He'll good offense. The uh, novice player will love Gurley this year. I can tell, I can guarantee you, because they just look at it and they're like, okay, Falcons, good offense, good running back, or at least he was a good running back. He's going to score a lot of po- like he's going to score a lot of fantasy points. The novice player is literally just going to look at the situation without digging into it at all. And I mean, like the like along with all the rushing stuff, the Rams are far more efficient in the red zone too. The Falcons are one of the worst red zone offenses in the league, probably because they pass the ball so much in the red zone. Good teams usually run the ball in the red zone, and the Falcons just aren't going to do that. And I've said this a million times, but. Gurley has a high chance of busting because you don't want Dirk Cutter's rushing weapons. You want his passing weapons. So you want Calvin Ridley, Julio Aiden Jones, Hurst. and Aiden Hurst. You don't want even Russell Gage, maybe. I don't even know. But you My do boy. not want Todd Gurley because Todd Gurley, for one, is probably not going to be a featured back in terms of a pass-catching role. I, I'd imagine he's probably going to get the majority of the work on the ground. But, I don't know, Edo Smith is still there, like fucking Brian, Brian Hill. Hill. Like someone's going to get the pass-catching work. Maybe they sign another guy. Uh, after training camp when someone gets cut or whatever. I, I don't think Gurley's getting pass-catching work, which to me is a big, big, like, factor in this offense because the, they're going to pass the ball at, like, the highest clip in the league. Yeah, agreed. Uh, by the way, sorry about that for the first couple minutes. Uh, realized my mic was to my left as I was talking, so I'm not sure if you guys saw me grab that, but a little sneak peek of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it, like, when you're going, it's typically not a good sign when you're going, especially as you mentioned, one of the highest pass splits in the red zone of the Falcons. And overall, 66.7% pass split under Dirk Cutter. You've seen multiple, uh, multiple times over the years as a Bucks fan. That's yeah. what he does. That's his offense. I don't anticipate it going down. In fact, I think it's probably more likely that it goes up because I think their defense, like, I mean, say what you want about Desmond Trufant, but he was the best corner last year and he's gone and they replaced him with a rookie. So I don't anticipate their defense getting much better than it was last year, if at all. So 65 plus percent of the time, yeah, they're going to throw the ball. So I, and if Gurley's not on the field for that, whoever the third down back is, maybe they're they're on a different team right now and they get cut in training camp and they sign them. Whoever it is, is going to be actually probably valuable for fantasy. And I would actually rather take a shot on that guy if he's like good than, uh, than Todd Gurley. I wouldn't be shocked if like, I don't know who's going to be available. Like, you watched Dirk Cutter over the years. I mean, the guys like Jacquees Rogers had value for a long time. Uh, I could see them bringing in, obviously, Chris Thompson's on the Jaguars, but a guy similar to that, yeah. you know, just flank him, flank him out, get, get him a couple catches like in space. Like, yeah. Someone, someone, yeah. Complete, like, someone, like, someone like that, I'm not going to be interested. If it's someone who's actually kind of good, I might be interested. But nonetheless, I think, um, yeah, this one is not only a risky player, this is just a straight-up plus. I would not draft Todd Gurley where he's going. I have him ranked around where he's going because – I mean, if he does stay healthy and if he does 
um, contribute. Like he's got, like he's going RB 16. I think he's probably going to get a, a, enough of a rushing volume and a couple touchdowns to the point that he's probably like a top like 18 running back. But I don't think you're going to enjoy owning Todd Gurley. Anyone who says that Todd Gurley has like top five upside is living in the past. Like he just does not anymore. Well, like so, fa- fa- fancy football counselor. Bad. His health is bad. He he's bad. Like <laughs> there's nothing good about the situation. So to me, just just an all out avoid. Do not draft Todd Gurley. Yeah, I, I fully agree on that one. And uh, that kind of segues into uh, the next topic for me. Uh, similar back to Todd Gurley again last year. All these volume is king uh, people on Twitter. Every year all I hear is, oh, volume is king. I don't care how bad they are. If they get the volume, they're going to be good. Well, when it comes to Leonard Fournette, who's the player I'm going to be talking about, he's the epitome of that cliche. So uh, I'll just break down the numbers last year. In terms of opportunities, 21.1 weighted opportunities per game, second in the NFL. 54 red zone touches, fourth in the NFL. 100 targets, fourth in the NFL, uh, like at at their position, obviously. And ultimately, a 90.1% opportunity share and a a 91.7% snap share, both ranking second in the league. Now, just to to clarify, that's all. Jump in with real quick. Is Leonard Fournette was getting like Austin Eckler, like Christian McCaffrey, like Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, I guarantee were the two two of the guys ahead of him. You said he ranked fourth. I don't remember who the third one was, but uh, it could have been Kamara. It's not like the other. Like Leonard Fournette (laughs) should not be getting anywhere near the amount of receiving work that those guys get. Not to mention, I mean, like if you're feeding that guy that much work, at least let him be good with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll break down the numbers. 27th in yards per touch, 48th in true yards per carry, 44th in yards created per touch, and 90th in fantasy points per opportunity. That's not good, guys. Like, plain and simple. I've mentioned multiple times on this channel, coaches will get efficient players the ball and will increase their workloads once they see some potential from them. It's the same. It's the exact opposite when it comes to players that are given that load and ultimately don't produce with it. Now, people are going to say, oh, he got it last year. Why wouldn't he get it this year? It's a completely different, different offense coordinator. We've seen Jay Gruden over the past. If somebody's not performing, he has no problem turning the back up. Heck, fucking look at it even in Washington. I mean, he's had, I'm going to mention Chris Thompson after, but he's had multiple backs that he's fed on just to get, get through the games. I mean, like plain and simple, he just doesn't rely on a guy if he's simply inefficient. And Coming at it with Chris Thompson, that 100 targets last season, just for just for comparison, just for context as to what that was uh, for Leonard Fournette's career averages, that 100 target plot like or amount was 26 more than the previous two years combined. Combined, 26 more than the previous two years combined. 74 in the two years combined. He had 100 last year. Just for comparison, I I'm gonna refer the stock down video to Leonard Fournette in the description. But I ultimately broke down the numbers. Jay Gruden's usage with Chris Thompson, six targets per game since 2017 when he's been on the field. We've seen it in the past that he uses Chris Thompson. Not to mention every single aspect of their offseason has shown that they're going to get other weapons involved in the receiving game. LaVisca Chenault is a prime example for me in general. The main area that Leonard Fournette ultimately will take over it would, would have been the short dump-off game, uh, which is what the, he basically did last year, even though he's incredibly inefficient with it. LaVisca Chenault's game is to get him the ball in space, short, short passes, and ultimately let him get yards after the catch, similar to a Debo Samuel. So ultimately here, you're getting a back who's super inefficient on the ground. It's going to get a, a huge cut in terms of his overall receiving work. And in general, the main argument people are going to make, 
oh, he's bound to see touchdown aggression. What points to that? Like maybe to like the offense is still going to be bad. They're still not going to be good in the red zone. Like, yes, he might see touchdown regression for the volume he got. When people say he's going to see touchdown regression, they're basing it on the volume he got last year because he got so much volume and he couldn't score touchdowns. Well, guess what? It's because he's not good at football. So, one, he's not going to all of a sudden become efficient because he's still not good at football. And he's a year, he still has injury concerns. We forget about those. They were very apparent last year, but he somehow got through the whole season. And the offense is still not good. Plus, his volume is probably going to regress too. So that'll all balance out. Maybe he has like two more touchdowns than he had last year. Congratulations, he still wasted a pick. Yeah, two 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 more touchdowns from last year, and ultimately like forty less catches. <laughs> so exactly. uh, I'd be shocked if he caught six or if he got uh, if he got sixty targets. I'd be shocked if he got that many. And that's in, like including the fact that like Chris Thompson's probably going to get hurt because that's what Chris Chris Thompson does. But I think even if he gets hurt, they'll probably use LaVisca Chenault out of the backfield or something. Like, they should. Or sign another guy. Like, I don't think there's any way that they give uh, Leonard Fournette, like, 70% of the targets that he had last year. No, I completely agree. Not to mention, I mean, every aspect of this team's offseason has signified that they're ready to tank this year. They lose their fucking three best defensive players, A.J. Bue, Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, since the midseason of last year. And in general, I mean, you look at it, what have they really done that signifies, oh, I'm trying to win now? Nothing. Yeah, you don't trade Calais Campbell for a fifth-round pick if you're trying to win now. For sure. So Contract uh, dump. That's what you did. That's what you did. It was contract dump. Yeah, I still see it on Twitter. People think he has legitimate top five offs. I'm like, where the fuck are you getting these yeah, no. points Leonard from? Fournette, like, it's I'm ridiculous. sure this, you'll agree with this. This is also a bus candidate. This isn't just a risky player. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. Uh, yeah, segueing into the next guy. Who do you got next on the docket, Corey? All right, so this guy, and the reason I you're going to be like, why didn't you call, call this video biggest bus in redraft? This is this guy's not a bus. That's why I didn't call it that. So this guy, Jonathan Taylor, and the reason he's a risk, obviously he's a rookie running back. So that's in, in, in itself um, puts some uh, risk onto him just because you don't know how he's going to perform in the NFL. And he, I know there's some narrative about Wisconsin running backs not being good in the NFL, but, I mean, scout the player, not the helmet. Anyway, so RB18 off the board uh, indicates that the public expects him to – to like get a decent workload uh get like he's going ahead of guys like Le'Veon Bell and I, I mean like I don't really blame people for taking him over Le'Veon Bell I have him ranked over Le'Veon Bell but to put him over a guy like that signifies that you expect him to get like if not like 200 carries like you should get like 220 250 touches because yes JT's in a great situation but he's not going to be so efficient to the point that like he outproduces Le'Veon Bell in 150 touches so I think the public ex- uh, expectations need to be tempered, especially early on in the year. I've mentioned this a million times also. Rookie running backs, sometimes they take time to develop. And I think um, this year specifically, I don't see a single rookie running back, including Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, that is just like immediately walks in like a Saquon or a Zeke or even Josh Jacobs last year. I think those guys were just – it was just assumed, yeah, they're the starter like right away. Boom, like hit the ground running. So – Yes, he's the most talented back in his backfield. I, I will 100% agree with that. He's the most talented. He's better than Marlon Mack. He's better than Naeem Hines. He's better than Jordan Wilkins, whoever else is there. He runs behind an elite offensive line. Yes, obviously. I don't expect him to be a week one workhorse, though, which some people might. So um, a couple quotes from Frank Reich about the whole running back uh, situation and the other guys involved. Um, he, he said Philip, uh, meaning Philip Rivers has an uncanny ability to get the ball to the backs. Naheem will be very much integrated into the game plan on all three downs. 
There's still enough snaps for him to be very, very productive this year. Very productive. That's three varies. So I don't know if Naheem Hines, that could be just a lot of smoke. I don't really think Naheem Hines is very good. But regardless, I think what they mean by that is at least for the first couple of weeks, Naheem Hines is going to be on the field. So maybe Naheem Hines proves that he's not very good and JT proves that he's better. Maybe, I don't know, in the receiving game, that might be a bit of a trade-off, but Either way, I think Naheem Hines, at least in the beginning of the season, is going to be on the field whether we like it or not. On third down, boom, JT's coming off the field. Marlon Mack's coming off the field. I think Naheem Hines is going to be involved. And talking, speaking about Marlon Mack, um, they also were quoted as saying, there's definitely inherent respect for the starter returning. Uh, and this was when he was asked about the team's backfield and, and Marlon Mack specifically. So he, he's paying homage to the starter that's there right now. So they don't, they don't, they're not just handing the rookie the football and being like, okay, kid, like, here's 20 carries. Like, Maybe once they get into camp and they realize he's just so much better than them that we, and we see preseason usage of him playing with the ones and all that stuff, maybe it's easier to project him. But I also imagine if that happens, JT is going in the area of Nick Chubb and Miles Sanders and all these guys, because the only reason he's going at RB 18 right now is because there is some uncertainty. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an ambiguous situation at this point, simply because as you mentioned, he's just not going to step in and get that workload right away. This could be a similar situation to ultimately what Nick Chubb experienced in his rookie year in the sense that uh, Nick Chubb didn't really establish himself until week, what, seven, eight? Yeah, week seven, week eight probably. But once he did, he was a league winner. I could see ultimately – now, Jonathan Taylor's not going to get dropped in any league similar or unlike what Nick Chubb was. I don't know how some people dropped him, but hey, I'll take it. I picked him up in a league and won fucking one games because of it. Uh, but ultimately you can end up getting this guy probably around week five or so. You're going to yeah. get a disgruntled owner. You're going to be like, Oh my God, this rookie high profile rookie. Well, all these analytics nerds on Twitter were calling him the next fucking Saquon Barkley. And now like he's not done anything for me. That's the risk involved with them in the sense that those first four or five weeks, as Corey mentioned, may not reach the ceiling that you think he's capable of. But at the same time, that, pre- that just presents future value in my opinion. So uh, uh, while the other two players we mentioned, Gurley and uh, Fournette, are just flat out bust in our opinion, as Corey mentioned, you can't put that on Jonathan Taylor. No. He's, ri- he's risky because of those five games, not because of the talent. I, we just think the other guys fucking suck, let's be honest here. Yeah, no, I don't think they're very good at all. And the, the issue – and I would say I wouldn't label this like a bust pick or anything. I would say I wouldn't draft Jonathan Taylor, though, to be honest. Like, he, he's probably – and if you do draft Jonathan Taylor, make sure you get, like, Jordan Howard, Sony Michelle, like one of these guys that so you can sub yeah. him in while JT battles out that backfield. But – Either way, I think, like Danny mentioned, I think you're going to be able to get this Jonathan Taylor for a fraction of the cost by week four when, I don't know, Marlon Mack is, like, still getting, like, 15 or, like, 13 carries a game and Naeem Hines is taking JT off the field on third down. Someone's going to be pissed. You could have gotten Miles Sanders last year in, like, week five because Miles Sanders was, like, you never knew when to start Miles Sanders last year, even though, like, Jordan Howard was there, and I can I could definitely see a world where um, Marlon Mack is just, for whatever reason, just, like, still there. And... The one thing about the Nick Chubb thing that I, I want to put into perspective is that it took a trade for Nick Chubb to, to break out. So, I mean, Marlon Mack isn't the most um, durable guy in the world, so there's a chance he just gets injured and JT takes over, which I, I'd probably imagine is how it shakes out if JT were to be like a league winner type is that someone got injured. But, um, like I said, talk, like talk can be cheap, like the, the coaching staff and all this stuff saying this. If, if we come out in the preseason and JT is like playing with all the starters and he's – getting hooked as soon as the starters get hooked. I'm like, I'm not really that worried then. But uh, Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines nearly averaged like 60% and 45% of snaps last year. 
um, when they played. And I know obviously things change when you draft a high second round running back, but they, they didn't give Mac a full workload, which means that they're probably not uh, apt to giving JT a full workload. Remember they do come from the Doug Peterson coaching tree, uh, Frank Reich. So they, they could okay. have adopted that philosophy. Frank Reich was there when they won a Super Bowl with JHI and LeGarrette Blunt and all these guys. So there's a chance he just, he falls under that in under that uh, designation that no one in fantasy likes, but uh, yeah, obviously JT can be a huge, huge upside play in the third round where you're getting him right now, but he does present risk. Yeah, 100% does present risk. And I don't want anyone to draft him thinking that they're going to be able to put him into their flex or their RB2 slot week one because you probably won't be able to. Yeah, I agree. Again, the thing with JT, the the main strat where I'm only really even like taking him in the range he's going right now, other than like trading for him like week four, week five, is if I ended up the first two rounds, or even like say say I got Christian McCaffrey in the first round, and I was able to flip back on the on the turn, I was able to get him, you know, high upside RB two while filling in some filler running backs later in the draft. I'm fine with that, but ultimately, I want at least a big big floor from my other running backs if I'm going to take the pick upside it shot. With I have two. Like if I picked, um, I don't know. If I have like the fifth pick in the draft and I picked Kamara and I got Miles Sanders on the second in the second round or I got Kenyon Drake in the second round, then I would pick JT in the third because then I don't have to start JT. Yeah. So Literally. that's when I would pick him. I wouldn't pick him if you go wide receiver, wide receiver. Do not pick Jonathan Taylor. I'm telling you right okay. now, don't do it. Because if he's your running back one going into the season, you're going to be disappointed. Literally the only situation where I'd even feel comfortable having one running back before I took him is if it was only Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, That's the only running back I'd be fine with taking JT as my RB2 in that situation simply because the floor you're getting from McCaffrey is so high. It doesn't even matter. He's basically two fucking players in one anyways. Like a wide receiver one and a running back one at once. So, Any other running back though? You need two of them before you take JT in the third. So uh, I'm I'm, I'm in full agreement uh, agreement with you there. Another guy that we're going to segue into that fits the theme of the first two guys we've mentioned that just to be honest, hashtag not good at football. I mean, that, that's, that's your favorite theme around here. Not good at football. Uh, it's David Johnson. You're going to hear it around the community. Oh, my God. The Texans just traded for David Johnson. He's going to be so good. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, heck, your 2016 team of David Johnson, A.J. Green, Aaron Rodgers must be looking really nice, right? Because that's, that's the only time they were actually good. Now, I don't know how Cliff Kingsbury was able to pull off that trade. Maybe he sent Bill O'Brien some of those 2016 highlights where DJ was uh, a complete league winner and ultimately was the RB1 that year. But he's just completely a different player. Like, I don't understand how people still think he has that upside. I'll put the the numbers on – or we won't put the numbers on the screen, but we'll put it on the website. So make sure you check the written content out as well. But uh, comparing Carlos Hyde, who was the Belkow Belkow league – whatever team leader in carries for the Texans last year compared to ultimately what DJ should be stepping into. Carlos Hyde was comparable, if not better in all of the rushing efficiencies while DJ, uh, like he had the upper hand in the receiving work because I mean, Carlos Hyde isn't a fucking receiving back. Naturally. But uh, yeah, uh, he outranked DJ in true yards per carry breakaway one rate evaded tackles per game and their ranking in yards created per touch. Carlos Ty was 69th, DJ was 63rd. So they're basically the same in that regard. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But see, you're paying the RB1 price, uh, RB21 price tag, ADP of 37 for DJ, while Carlos Ty was the 40th ranked uh, player at the position last year in PPR formats. So 40th, 21st. 
You're drafting a guy who's still in a situation that finished 40th at the 21st spot. I don't understand that divide. I don't understand how people... It's just a huge name value pick. David Johnson has literally only had one season in his entire career where he's been good. And yes, granted, it was the RB1, but I mean, like he's... What is he? He's like the Josh Gordon of running backs. For sure. I mean, people are going to say... The main argument I can see people having with me, well, well, DJ had 36 catches in the games he played last year and he missed a lot of them. Like, I'll pull the numbers up after, like, for the website. But off my head, I think he probably played, what, seven, eight games? I mean, where he was a starter, starter. probably, yeah. Yeah, about that, probably as a starter. Whereas Hyde played the full season and he only had 16. Okay, well, if you actually break down the stats of what the Texans actually did in the passing game last year, the Texans had a 14.7% target market share to the running back position, one of the lowest of the league. And they're bringing back the running back target leader and Duke Johnson for their team last year, who led the team with 62. So what is the real upside you're getting in the receiving game with DJ? Because, I mean, he's not going to catch 100 passes like uh, everybody was touting after that 2016 season. He's not going to th- get, get 1,000 receiving yards. So ultimately, what are you drafting here? Because 62 targets for that inefficient work on the ground isn't going to get you top 20. Like, it's just not. The math doesn't work out. So, His upside to me is like a middling RB2. Like the best yeah. case scenario for Dan, uh, for I almost said Daniel Jones, for David Johnson is uh, is like he's like RB17, and he's like basically what Le'Veon Bell was last year. It was like basically the best case scenario I can think of for David Johnson because he's you're right, he's not good. He's not good anymore. He he hasn't been good on the ground since 2016. And as a receiver, yes, he's a good receiver, but Deshaun Watson is a, is a freak athlete. He's a supremely gifted athlete that is not looking to check down a lot and he's proven this this isn't just me saying this like Deshaun Watson like you said they had one of the lowest target percentages in the league to running backs last year and they had Duke Johnson who in my opinion is like a top 15 receiving back in the league for sure I mean when Duke Johnson is only able to garner 62 targets last year what the fuck makes you think that David Johnson at this point is going to garner more than that it doesn't make any sense for sure but yeah is that all are we good yeah Pretty much. I mean, they'll see more on the website, a little more written content, kind of went in depth, absolutely roasting the guys. So if you guys want to see that, uh, make sure it's linked in the description. But aside from that, who's your next guy, Corey? All right. So this one's not a bus candidate. He's more of a risky guy as well. And this guy is super risky. This might be the riskiest guy in the first four rounds. And that's Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert. Yes, I understand what the upside is. Like I, I have him in every dynasty league because he was going super low at a, at one point. He's a fourth round pick now. Like he's not a, a value in drafts anymore. He is going in the fourth round. So he's super risky, and the reason is because of coaching. Shanahan's running backs have been hard to predict the last few years. I owned two of them last year. I had I had Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida last year. I never knew which one to start. Like everyone had their moment in the sun, Brita, Coleman, Moster, Jeff Wilson, like everyone was like relevant for a period of time last year. If he gets extended, it'll, it'll increase my confidence level in him a bit because Raheem Mostert apparently has been in talks with the, the 49ers that they might extend him. And depending on the parameters of the contract, if he gets like an Austin Eckler level contract, I'll probably change my tune and I'll, I'll probably move him up. But as of right now, he's still just another undrafted running back that's in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So uh, last year, uh, I'll pull up the, the splits of the, the opportunity market shares, the, the big thing I'm looking at here. And basically what this means is like the percentage of running back opportunities in a given game. So the highest percentage that any running back recorded last year in the San Francisco 49ers backfield was Raheem Mostert, and, but it was only 42% of the running back opportunities that game, which is like, which is insane. Like 42%, like for, to, for a frame of reference, like a workhorse running back, like 
I don't know what Saquon Barkley gets or like whatever is like oh, 70, 80 percent, and then like a guy like I don't know Nick Chubb or something is like sixty percent. So forty two percent as the highest like even those games where Raheem Mostert went absolutely off, the highest opportunity market share he got that game was forty two percent. And after that, it was Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida. Like, he only like he got as many as the other three running backs in the backfield. And, yes, Matt Breida is gone now, and that frees up some opportunity, but Jarek McKinnon's coming back yet – or is coming back. And they haven't, like, cut him, and maybe if they do, that changes some things also. But uh, don't get it twisted. This is still going to be a running back by committee. Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Jet McKinnon – Jeff Wilson, they have Jamichael Hasty and like a bunch of other undrafted guys that they've been known for turning into starting running backs. It's going to be a committee. Raheem Mostert, maybe he's the lead back, but he's still going to be in a committee regardless. Tevin Coleman isn't going away, nor is is McKinnon as of right now or or Jeff Wilson. So the like like I said, the opportunity market market share is is really concerning because at no point, not even for one game, was anyone in the San Francisco Forty uh, ers backfield a true feature back or a workhorse like they no one was like above like I would say like 55 would have been like the the number that you would have been looking for for that so yeah you can go ahead sorry I was gonna say heck you mentioned uh the the opportunity market share below 50 percent just for reference I mentioned Leonard Fournette earlier 90.1 percent yeah like that was like probably his average too it was it's over the season. Like Raheem Mostert's best game was against, I believe, it was, I don't even remember who it was. The Cardinals was it? Uh, Ravens, I believe he had 19 for 146 and three touchdowns. Yeah, like he he had the six, a 65% market share of the rushing opportunity, but at no point was he ever like a feature receiving back uh, during the season. So he, like, he's got a bunch of red flags that like are super concerning. And it wasn't as concerning to me when, like, early in the fantasy season when he was an eighth-round pick. He's a fourth-rounder now. Like, he's going around some guys that are actually legitimate, like, like safe options, like James Conner, I, I perceive, as, like, safer than him. And same, same goes with, like, Le'Veon Bell and stuff. I'll pull up his strength of schedule up on the screen right now. And this is obviously for the entire Niners backfield. Um, in terms of rush efficiency defense from last year, or, or, sorry, projected going into this year. So this takes into account people moving teams and draft picks and all that shit. Uh, the 49ers rank 30th in the NFL in terms of rush defense efficiency uh, for their schedule. And um, in the first seven games, they only have one uh, green, which is like a favorable matchup against the Dolphins. The rest of them are all top 12 rush efficiency defenses. And a couple of them are top like seven. So, I mean, he could get off to a really slow start and this backfield could transition into a full-blown committee pretty quickly, or it could even transition into Tevin Coleman or, Michael Hasty or Jeff Wilson taking over the backfield. And then like the reality is, is that all these running backs last year had a, had a Raheem Mostert stretch. The only reason that Raheem Mostert is the guy that we're all targeting right now is because it happened a, the most recently and B there's like talks of an extension. So like te- it had Tevin Coleman done what Raheem Mostert did in the, in the back half of the year, we'd all be drafting Tevin Coleman in the fourth round and not Raheem Mostert. So, I mean, there's also offensive line turnover. I know, I know uh, Trent Williams is an unreal left tackle, but he's like got like a tumor in his head or some shit. Like we, Joe Staley is like an elite, like, was it like an elite running run blocker? So if, if Trent Williams is, is like shaky to start the season when they have a, a rough run schedule, there's a chance this, this uh, job that Raheem Mostert has taken over. It looks like is not his anymore. Yeah. I, I can definitely see the risk aspect. I mean, I, I've been on record uh, in the past, like on the channel, uh, saying like I'm a really big fan of Raheem Mostert simply because of the upside. I, I will. I, 
I will recognize, I mean, the risk is paramount. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that gives me hope is that while it was, it was an ambiguous backfield throughout the season, weeks 13 to 17 really settled me in the sense that he averaged 18.56 uh, PPR points per game, which ranked eighth down the stretch, I believe I pulled up in the, in the video. Something like that, yeah. He either way, he ranked ahead of like guys like Kamara, Fournette, uh, Nick Chubb. That that shows me like the potential upside. Now, as you mentioned, opportunity because when he he's going to be a super efficient back, and that's the problem with San Francisco's backfield is that it's like I mean, undrafted guys can prove themselves like good running backs all the time because it's such a running back friendly system that literally anyone can produce in it. They're like they're like the definition of running backs don't matter. Like you could throw me or Danny in there, we might might have a couple relevant fantasy games. Like it's insanely easy for running backs to produce in this backfield, which is why we were all so sold on like guys like Le'Veon Bell when he was a free agent going to San Francisco. It's because it would have just been incredible. So, oh man, I mean, imagine that. Yeah, I know, right? The imagine if Aaron Jones goes next year. Oof, please, please, yeah, he's he's a top he's a top five back if that yeah, happens. Exactly. Like, yes, Raheem Mostert has elite upside. Like I'm not denying that, but he is super risky. Like there's a chance, like there's like a 60, 40 chance in my opinion that he busts, but if he um, doesn't bust, he's going to be a top like eight running back for sure. I, I fully agree. I mean, I mentioned that in the video ADP battles episode three, I believe uh, we were recording with Lucas. We were discussing Cam Akers versus Raheem Mostert. This is the classic. Uh, if I have two running backs, I'm willing to take a risk. I'll take Raheem Mostert. Worst case scenario, he's your RB three. He busts. That's fine. But I'm here to win championships. If he's my RB3 and he has a chance to finish as a top eight yeah, overall running back, like you said. flex spot or something, he's, you're going to be killing everyone if you have two solid running backs plus him. Easily. Uh, yeah, so I, I really like Raheem Mostert because of the upside, but I can definitely see, I mean, the risk is paramount with a guy like that, especially because, again, as you mentioned, we don't know what the situation is. The 49ers are one of the hardest predi- uh, backfields to predict in the entire league. So ultimately uh, – yeah, that's that's just risk, plain and simple. Sure. So, uh, that, that was a good that was a good pick too. Uh, even though we like him, as you mentioned, yeah, this yeah, isn't a bus sure. video. This we'll, is a risk video. I'll, uh, I'll get into some honorable mentions once you're d- done. Your last guy of guys that we didn't talk about, maybe because we just talk about them all the time on this channel. And we don't want to go into them anymore. But I'll, I'll, I'll give some honorable mentions. But go ahead with your uh, your yeah. last. Sticking to your theme of uh, picking players that not aren't necessarily bus. But uh, present a lot of risk in terms of like where people are drafting them versus maybe where their floor uh, could consist. Uh, it's Cooper Cup. So ADP 36, wide receiver 12. So uh, again, as I mentioned, straying from my theme uh, of this episode, just attacking players that I just don't believe are good. Cooper Cup is one I'm actually a fan of his game. Really good slot receiver. Uh, ultimately, when he does get fed his volume, he's a producer in fantasy. Again, first eight weeks of last season were really encouraging for people who drafted him. 20 point, I believe it was, let me pull it up right here. 20.96 PPR points per game over that stretch with nearly 11 targets per game, weeks one to eight. The problem that I have with Cooper Cup at his current ADP is what happened, what transpired between weeks nine to 17. So the main proponent that I'm going to bring up in my argument is once the Rams switched to 12 personnel from their classic 11 personnel, they've been using basically throughout uh, McVay's tenure, Cooper Cup's numbers significantly got dialed back. So for reference, weeks one to eight, the Rams used 12 personnel on 11% of their snaps, whereas in weeks nine to 17, the Rams uh, used 12 personnel on 30% of their snaps. In that stretch that they were using 12 personnel, Cooper Cup's numbers dropped from seven catches per game on almost 11 targets, 99 yards, and 0.62 touchdowns per game 
which was a 20.96 PPR clip, to 12.86 PPR points per game. That was really only carried by a receiving touchdowns per game clip. His receiving yards fell to 46 per game. His targets fell under six. There was a big cut in his ultimate usage. And that was, again, attributed to that huge increase in 12 personnel. 90% from 11, that's a huge increase, as, you, as we were talking about before the video. And to be honest, the reason why teams use 12 personnel is when they feel like their offensive line can't hold up otherwise. Less what predictable, are, too, usually. For sure. What, what, what have the Rams done this offseason that ultimately says they're going to stray from it? If anything, they added a tight end in the draft. And they didn't draft any single offensive lineman. Because plain and simple last year, they played off uh, 12 personnel. Predictability, as you said. And their offensive line couldn't hold up. So, Yeah, Cooper Cup. I mean, last year, I know I've, the argument's been made that Cooper Cup maybe um, last year tailed off because of, he was coming off a torn ACL, which is, is also very possible. that that's why, he tore, that's why he tailed off. And the offense switching to a more 12 personnel approach could have been a product of either McVay, because I still think McVay is a good coach, um, adapting because Cup was banged up and and Cooks was already like banged up and and I think Reynolds was also banged up like he might have just moved to twelve personnel out of necessity because they didn't have any receivers that were healthy but it could have also been uh, a philosophy change that he took upon himself because he had two good tight ends and because some of his um, uh, some of the games that they played and they were just getting figured out offensively like the. The, the whole 11 personnel run from 11 personnel thing worked when you had an all pro running back, but they didn't have an all pro running back last year. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw it back in those days when they were running 11 personnel, they're running that outside zone with fucking girly, like that offense was really unstoppable, but unfortunately yeah. we really saw last season once things weren't actually going perfectly, uh, the whole offense as a whole suffered and especially cup. I mean, those numbers, you can't, you can't deny nearly eight points per game decrease in PPR formats from weeks uh, from the week one to eight stretch versus the week nine to 17 stretch is it, uh, inexplicable. However, whose numbers actually increased down that stretch weeks nine to 17, Robert Woods averaged nearly 20 points per game and Tyler Higby, as I've mentioned previously on this channel, 21.44 PPR points per game in those final five games. So th- that just shows me that while like McVay's a great coach, first of all, just, let's just get that off the record. He adapts the situations and ultimately those players were able to produce because out of necessity, McVay, McVay changes offense to supplement what actually worked for the team. And P, again, people are so down on the Rams. They still had a 9-7 and seven record last year. So uh, overall, it's kind of like, again, I'm not calling him a bust, but it's risky in the sense that you're taking him as a back-end wide receiver one, but we really don't know how this offense is going to function, if they're going to stick to the 12 personnel. And ultimately, if they do, we saw the huge decline in his numbers. For sure. And uh, like I said, I'm going to go through some honorable mentions. And the reason we didn't go into these guys is because we've just talked about them too much. Miles Sanders, for me, is a risky player. I'm going to try and avoid him, I think, because in the first two rounds, like if you lose your second round pick or your early, your late first round pick, like you might be fucked for the year. Like it's, it's pretty hard to come back from if you lose, like if you draft Miles Sanders at the 111 or something and they go to a full blown committee and he's not like a workhorse running back that some people think he's going to be, it'll ruin your whole season. So uh, guys like Miles Sanders, um, uh, Kenyon Drake to me, it has the same kind of situation as Miles Sanders is that I could see them going to more of a committee approach. And Drake just also hasn't shown the ability to play a full featured back role for an entire season, which is a risk. Um, uh, Lamar Jackson, the the touchdown rate could regress. Uh, his passing touchdown rate could regress, and maybe he also he's he's a running quarterback. He there's a chance he gets injured as well. 
Uh, and then a couple other guys, Odell Beckham, we've talked about so much. I don't even want to talk yeah. about him. Our wide receiver rankings video won't be out yet, but it will be. And you'll hear, you'll hear our Odell Beckham argument. Like literally as an entire, uh, the four of us, we're all so low on Odell Beckham Jr. And you'll it, find it, why it's, it's crazy too. Uh, they'll also see on Saturday, uh, we're dropping a video. Uh, me and Bootleg collabed on the, the newest ADP battle series. And you'll just see uh, collective thoughts on Odell Beckham. I mean, I think I made a pretty convincing argument. You guys will see for yourselves, though. Stay tuned for Saturday morning drop. Yeah, and then a couple other guys. I'm not going to give any analysis, just like briefly. I think Chris Carson, Amari Cooper, uh, James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, A.J. Brown, David Montgomery, um, Cortland Sutton. Some of these guys are just a little more risky than I, I would I like to lean in the early rounds, especially uh, like running backs. Early uh, Risky running backs early on is something I'm not exactly apt to do. I'm, I'm more of a risk taker at receiver because I think it's an easy, it's a very easily replaceable position compared to running back. Same goes for quarterback and tight end. I take risks at those positions all the time. But running backs in the early rounds, to me, you can't miss on them. If you miss, if you have three, if you pick three running backs in the first four rounds, if you miss on one of them, it might, it might uh, derail your season enough to the point that you can't win a championship. So Guys that are a little safer in the first four rounds are actually not a bad idea. Once you get into round five, six, seven, though, taking all safe backs, is, it's all upside. Like, you're better off going for upside receivers at that point. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree there. Uh, aside from that, I mean, just prop, properly – how am I going to say this? Use risk management in the sense that yeah. although a couple of these guys, as, as we mentioned, are really risky, it totally depends on how you're constructing your team mid-draft. I mean, if you, if you have the chance and you – you can kind of afford league uh, size matters too. Cause if you're in a 14 team league, you can't afford to like miss on your first yeah. four round picks. If you're in an eight team league, you can probably get away with it a little bit more. Yeah. Especially like eight to 10 league teams. Let's be honest here. Like I don't play in much of our leagues. Uh, let's be honest here. I don't play in much of them. I mean, I, I, I don't think I am in any, to be honest, but uh, when I, I used to be, and let me tell you, Corey knows for, from experience, you just said you play in one. Yeah. The studs win the championships. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Studs like, win the championship. Wide receiver twos on the waiver wire. Like it's not even a big deal to lose a like miss on a first round or like a second round wide receiver. Like it's fine. Like you can pick up guys. Like I played Brashad Perriman to win my championship last year. So yeah, I mean, it, like it's not a big deal at all. Um, anything else before we get out of here? No, we're all we're all wrapped up here. Okay, for sure. Make sure you guys, as Danny mentioned, we're, we, we upload our show notes to the um, to our website. So if you don't want to listen to us talk about it, you can just go read about it. Uh, they'll usually be up like a day after the episode has come out. So if you want to just go look at our show notes, you can, you can definitely do that. Uh, make sure you guys are in the Discord uh, link down below. We're always talking football, talking trades, talking dynasty, talking redraft, whatever you guys want to talk about. We're, we're all for it. And um, make sure you guys are tuning in because the draft guide's dropping in about a month from now. So um, make sure you guys are definitely tuning in for that. It's going to be a lot of value packed into like a Starbucks coffee. So worth yeah, of cost. So for sure. Don't, don't miss out. I mean, we're, we're grinding our heart and soul into this thing and uh, we're sure you guys are going to really enjoy it. So stay tuned because that's going to be dropping soon. Cool. Peace out guys. Enjoy your Thursday. Peace.